Sin is, is our great enemy. It's the greatest threat in human existence. In fact, this, this problem of sin is so prominent in David's eyes that once he comes to, uh, in, in Psalm 103, one of, one of the most beautiful uh, uh, psalms in the Psalter, when he comes to this, he begins this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And how does he begin to list the benefits that God gives? In verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. This is where the psalmist begins for us. Death is that great enemy that surrounds us. It's something within us, but as well as without. We live in a culture of death. We're familiar with this. Solomon says in Proverbs 8, All who hate me, speaking of the wisdom of God, all who hate me love death. And this is what we see in in the, the landscape around us. The promotion of death, chaos, destructing what God has made, and that's what we find in uh, in, throughout history is God made all things good. He brought order out of the chaos and man brings chaos to the order through sin. He destroys what God has given. We see, we see today, even you think of abortion promoted even as a sacrament, as a religious rite. Even. We live in a culture that promotes death. Euthanasia that is becoming prominent in European countries. There was uh, a report in, from CBS some years ago that Iceland had cured uh, Down syndrome. They said they'd cured Down syndrome, and, and Denmark was close behind them, 98% curing of Down syndrome. How had they done that? By taking the lives of those with Down syndrome. They had cured it through killing those with Down syndrome. We live in a culture of which Dr. Mengele would be proud. Even even human romantic relationships are now not about life. They're parasitic. Pleasure is extracted from another person until it is sucked out of them, until that person is sapped dry, and then move on to the next host. Even our relationships are not about life. Identity is no longer about life. It's destruction and death all around. We live in a culture of death. So we have enemies without and enemies within. The great enemy is death. We must face our own death. Hebrews 9 says it's appointed for a man once to die and after this the judgment. 
So that's the great enemy. But there is hope. There is hope, and it's presented to us here in in this passage. He will swallow up death for all time. Death will be swallowed up. The deadly enemy will die. The devourer will be devoured. And you see this here, that the, the reaction, it begins, interestingly, with the reaction rather than with the promise. It says the people are feasting, they are rejoicing, they are coming together with joy and fellowship together. Why? What's presented? The, the burial shroud over the nations has been removed. Death is removed. And so there can be joy. Death And even sorrow gone forever. And what is the means of death's destruction? That would come much later, but again, Isaiah speaks to it. Not in this place, but later on. He brings us, he's already brought us the Prince of Peace. He's brought us hope on Mount Zion. He's brought us the, the King. Later, he's going to bring to us the suffering servant. In chapter 53, Isaiah says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is in the death of Christ that death dies. Just the hymn writer said, What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Why? For sinners. That death might be swallowed up. There had to be the sacrifice. Death had to come for God's justice to be done. For God's justice to, to, to find its place, for it to, to punish the crime. It had to come. But Jesus Christ stepped into that place. He took the sins upon Himself. He nailed them to the cross. Jesus came as the one who loved His own people. He says this, listen to Jesus in John chapter 10 where He says He does this willingly, voluntarily. I am the Good Shepherd. I know My own and My own know Me just as the Father knows Me and I know the Father and I lay down My life for the sheep. For this reason the Father loves Me, He says in verse 17, because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from My Father. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the case for all who are united to Christ. For those who are in Christ, death has lost its sting. Death has lost its power. Listen to the Apostle Paul 
as the Spirit speaks through him in Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Here you see the death of death in the death of Christ, as John Owen titled his book. Hear this again from 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's viewed death as an enemy over which Christ triumphs. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. There's Psalm 110 that we sung earlier. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christian, this is your hope. The end of death. The power of death swallowed up in the death of Christ. This is a complete salvation for those who are in Christ. I want to bring a quote to you from Charles Spurgeon. This is something that uh, Ella came across in her reading and brought it to me. And, so, and, and just want you to know how much I love you all because I'm reading this and I've never been able to read it without weeping. So, here goes. This is Charles Spurgeon speaking on Jesus' words from the cross. It is finished. What a grand utterance. Now are we safe for salvation is complete. The debt was now to the last farthing all discharged. The atonement and propitiation were made once and for all and forever by the one offering made in Jesus' body on the tree. There was the cup. Hell was in it. The Savior drank it. Not a sip and then a pause. Not a draft and then a ceasing. He drained it till there was not a dreg left for any of His people. The great ten-thronged whip of the law was worn out upon his back. There is no lash left with which to smite one for whom Jesus died. The great cannonade of God's justice has exhausted all its ammunition. There is nothing left to be hurled against a child of God. Sheathed is thy sword, O justice. Silenced is thy thunder, O law. There remains nothing now of all the griefs and pains and agonies which chosen sinners ought to have suffered for their sins, for Christ has endured all for His own beloved, and it is finished. You see that in the midst of all of the suffering, all of the just judgment of God raining down, all of the death, and the sorrow, and the weeping, and the pain. There's this blindingly bright hope. Death will be swallowed up for all time. And we see this more clearly than Isaiah could have because we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and his cross. Yes, Isaiah saw it to a certain degree. We've been given the privilege of knowing even more clearly how Jesus would do it and what it would look like. We've been given the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ himself. Now, Isaiah knew that he was looking to something off in the future because he says here that this is a lavish banquet for all peoples. Not just for the Jews only, but for the Gentiles as well. He was looking off into the New Testament era when the Gentiles would be brought in. What you see happening in the book of Acts when the apostles follow Jesus' instructions and they go out as his witnesses from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And here we are today, all the nations being brought into this feast. This feast that celebrates the Savior, the, the, the joy that there is in Him because Jesus Christ has swallowed up death for all time. But this is something that the the work is finished, but the application isn't complete yet. The application of it is not yet complete, and we know this because Paul brings it to us in that passage that we read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. We're still looking ahead to the resurrection of the dead. Those saints who have gone on before us already They're still waiting for the resurrection of the dead. We confess in our catechisms that their their souls immediately pass into glory. We have that, that great hope. The larger catechism says, we lay our loved ones to rest and their bodies do rest in their graves as in their beds until the resurrection. Listen to what Paul says again at the end of of 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable, and remember he's talking about the resurrection, bodily resurrection, and this is uh, the resurrection chapter. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death shall be swallowed up in victory. And there he's, he's quoting from a, a version of the Septuagint, I believe. Uh, and so it's not exactly what you see here from the Hebrew. That death is swallowed up for all time, but death is swallowed up in victory. And it even it brings Isaiah's prophecy and applies it directly to Christ. And he says, at the bodily resurrection, then this will be completed. That death will be completely swallowed up. Because the death that we have here in the body is not the end for our bodies. But for those united to Christ by faith, they rest in their graves as in their beds until the resurrection. And then He gives new bodies. New bodies that won't die. New bodies that are reflections of His own glorious body. Death has no dominion over Him and it has no dominion over those who are in Christ. O death, where is your sting now? O grave, where is your victory?
Isaiah brings us to heavenly mindedness. We see death and destruction all around us and we are called to live well in this world and Isaiah does not shy away from instructing on how to live in this life. But he calls us to heavenly mindedness. Too often we as Christians, we have our eyes fixed on the ground. We are constantly thinking about the goings on of this life. But for Isaiah, for believers, the bridge between heaven and earth, the, that, that line is, is somewhat, somewhat dimmed. It's there, but ought to be almost imperceptible because of the hope that we have in Christ. We are called to heavenly mindedness. Paul in Colossians 3 calls us to set our hearts on things above where Christ is. Not on things that are on the earth. Because that's where our life is. Jesus Christ, our whole life is bound up in Him. I believe Pastor Ivy a couple weeks ago was speaking to this. Christ who is our life. So our hearts are with Him. That's where our hearts are, where our desires are. We're thinking in these terms. We're not just looking at this life, but we're looking to our conduct in this life in light of eternity. The author of Hebrews, what did he do after the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11? He calls us to look to heaven because of that great cloud of witnesses. To fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is where our hope is. There are tears in this life, and we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, this evening, where it says, and the Lord God will wipe tears from all faces. It's because there are tears. There are sorrows. There, are, there is suffering. There is pain. But He calls us to heavenly mindedness. We are to fix our hearts on Christ. The church is not just another social club. The church is not just another tribe on earth. It's not just an identity to be a Christian or perhaps a social identity or even a political identity. Why do we come to the church? Why do we come to Christ? Because there's no other hope. There's no other place where there is life. Why would Peter not leave Jesus? He said, because you alone have the words of eternal life. There, there's no hope anywhere else. We're not here gathered together because it's, it's a, a fun social club. The world has plenty of social clubs. It doesn't need another one. We come together as the people of God to Mount Zion because this is the only place where there is hope. This is the only place that offers life. This is the only place that offers respite from the tears that, where there is a guarantee based on good foundations for sorrows to be removed. We come to Christ because this place alone has life. We need to remember that as we live in the church. Among other Christians, it's not just a place where we come because we 
I'm just It's an enjoyable atmosphere. We all come to Jesus Christ because in Him is our life. This is the place where there is destruction and death and decay and chaos all around. In the city of God, there is life and protection and peace. Do you know Jesus in this way? Is your citizenship firmly fixed in the city of God? Is Jesus the hope and the delight of your heart? You see Jesus' sacrifice given his, completely for the people. Completely given over for His people. Completely paying everything. And this is why He is the darling of heaven. The one that the, the angels are mystified by what He has done. The saints cast their golden crowns before the Lamb, before the throne, because of what He has done. Do you know Christ in this way? Is He the delight of your heart? This is where there is life. This is where there is hope. In the city of God, because of her king. Zion is established forever. And no enemy will ever threaten those who are found within her walls. Because her king protects her and has given her life. Let's pray. Lord our God, we... Thank you for Jesus Christ, the righteous one who took our sins upon himself. We ask that you would help us to revere him, to adore him, to know him, to love him. That for our children and our children's children, they would know Christ as the only place of hope, as the only place of life. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see as Isaiah saw the hope and the joy that is for those who are in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.